Welcome to Drinks at the Doll, episode 24, Kiara and Nadia. Listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast way station for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I'm Chris. And today we're going to discuss the women who made the love triangle just that more complicated, Kiara and Nadia. So because we're talking about Bo's lovers, lovers, the, the drink special for this week is called a lover's kiss. It's a very, very froofy drink. It has amaretto, cherry brandy, and creme de cacao, and it even has whipped cream on top. So it's pretty delicious. It tastes kind of like a, a chocolate-covered cherry milkshake. So if you're into such things, you, you would enjoy it. There will be a recipe for the drink in the show notes. So Kiara and Nadia were brought on on season two for pretty much the same reason. They were there to distract Bo's love interest, to be make Bo's love interest seem even farther away from her than, than they maybe would have otherwise. But these two characters were treated really differently. So we're going to sort of discuss how their storylines were kind of parallel, but also how each character was treated very differently through the storylines. So, you know, we meet Kiara and Nadia in these kind of fairy tale moments. We have... Kiara, who's been kidnapped by the evil men, she's this fairy queen, and they find her and they rescue her. And then for Nadia, there's this very like snow white almost image of her lying in a coma and then waking up and in a white dress that's all beautifully arranged around her. And and the makeup, let's not forget. I keep thinking, I'm like, <laughs> wow, somebody put some great makeup on for that coma in the last five years. The blue eyeshadow really makes it stand out. Was it that <laughs> it for green her? eyeshadow or something? It just stood out. And I'm like, whoa, that's some heavy makeup for coming out of that coma. Someone took really good care of her. That is some heavy duty makeup right there to last five years. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> or or the, either that or it's freshly applied, in which case, what? <laughs> I know, I know. You, you know, uh, Lauren might have popped the bubble open every day and just, you know, checked her vitals and reapplied the makeup and made sure the dress was all perfect and then Get her shut hair. her back up again. And that's the, the, did the hair. Yeah. Her her dress was surprisingly unwrinkled. I mean, I get that she wasn't moving around a lot, but still, you would think yeah. after that much time, the dress would be a little more wrinkled. Yeah, exactly. But oh, the, the glories of television. <laughs> I know, I know. So we meet these two characters in these very fairy tale settings, and then their storyline throughout season two is kind of this... Bo's a little jealous of them. They're a little jealous of Bo. And then just they a both, little? Just a little. Okay. Yeah. And then they both end up being killed by the Garuda, sadly. Not directly in Nadia's case, but essentially the reason she died was because of the Garuda. So very parallel storylines. But it's interesting to me because we have sort of, I feel like a double parallel kind of going on almost because before Nadia, before and after Nadia is on the scene, it's almost like Lauren and Kiara are parallels in a couple of scenes because you have at the end of Brotherhood of the Fae where there are these similar scenes where Dyson is arguing with Kiara, you take the bed, I'll take the couch. And then we have Bo arguing with Lauren, oh, no, 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 you take the bed, I'll take the couch. And then in Lachlan's Gambit, which is episode 220, we have the sort of the bed scenes where Kiara and Dyson are having sex, but Bo and Lauren are just sort of Snuggling. Comforting each other. Comforting yeah. each other. Although I checked Comfort, again. Not sex. Yes. The scene that was intercut with Dyson and Kiara in bed was actually Bo, Bo, Bo and Lauren, Lauren talking. talking. Exactly. Preceding yeah. 
pre- preceding the bed scene. Right. But, yeah. but yeah, it, somebody once referred to those as you have the sex without love scene with Dyson and Kiara and then the love without sex scene with Bo and Lauren. And I, mm. and I think that's a good parallel. So I find that kind of interesting because, you know, suddenly, I don't know. It's just, it's just weird to me because clearly Kiara and Nadia are kind of parallel characters, but then in these two scenes, it's Kiara and Lauren that become the parallel characters. I don't know if there was, there's a bigger reason behind that, but I just thought that was, that was kind of interesting. Getting into their characterization, I found Kiara actually very interesting because when we meet her, and especially in the beginning, she comes off as a very damsel in distress type character, but ultimately, she dies this heroic death in battle, jumping in front of a sword to save Bo. And uh, Kenzie as well. That's right, yeah, because Kenzie was, was in, in harm's way as well. And less jumping than teleporting, if we're going to get technical. <laughs> Sorry, she teleports. She teleports. Which, who knew she could do that? Yeah. Oh, yeah that's right, yeah. she teleported. Yeah, suddenly she had that skill we, we found out in, in Lachlan's Gambit. We hadn't seen her use it before, but suddenly we found out she had that skill. Very useful in fighting. Why didn't she teleport herself out of the back of that van, then? <sighs> it's true. Oh, details. Uh, the writers hadn't thought of it yet. <laughs> well, and, you know, it's, it's always that you never quite know how their powers are supposed to work. Maybe she has to see where she's going in order to teleport, and she was blindfolded. Maybe Who knows? she's been drugged. Maybe, she's, maybe she was drunk, even. Who knows? Um, <laughs> drunk? I don't know. So anyway, so Kiara, I found, I found interesting. She starts out very damsel in distress, but ends up, you know, dying this warrior death. Even though they, they started in the beginning, uh, establishing that that was her role as she trained Dyson and his, and his pack. And she was a, a half fairy, half warrior fae. We didn't really see that surface until the very end of her story arc. So I, I like that she had an unexpected progression in her storyline. And we actually learn quite a bit about Kiara. We learn that she has been helping to run her husband's company, and she's quite wealthy. And we learn a little bit about what her life was like back with, with Dyson, however many hundred, back in his brave, brave heart years. And <laughs> that's what I always think about. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that's what, that's, that's what they're dressed like, right? They're- I know. Also, I noticed something during the rewatch that I feel like I have to point out. So, you know, the tattoo on his arm, they've talked about how that's actually derived from hobo symbology. How come he has it hundreds of years ago? That's a good point. They did not think that out in the in the prop department. Maybe he invented it. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. Okay, we'll go with that. Dyson invented that symbol. That and, symbol. And, and hobo the symbology. The got it from Dyson. Yep. He's just that cool. Well, you know, at all this time, Dyson was reinventing himself. I'm sure at one point he was a hobo. So there you go. <laughs> a stray dog. <laughs> yeah. There we go. And, and so her, her husband's very wealthy. She was a, she trained men for battle back in, back in the Braveheart days. And what else do we learn about her? She has a, apparently a, a fairly active social life in the human world. And I think she's really the first, at least recurring character we see who's Faye, but seems to really socialize with humans a lot. Correct. At least as far as, yeah, as you say, what we've seen are our main characters and stuff. We don't really, and especially given the episode with Hale's family, where the family is shocked that Hale has brought Kenzie home with him. And they're like, ooh, a human's in our house. Gross. Right, right. So That's like the polar opposite, but 
maybe for Kiara to obtain that wealth or to get that wealth, it was through the human world. So she has to keep up that human world and all the appearances of being a high class, you know, human to be in with a very certain crowd who has to know you and know who you are and go to those weekly wealthy dinner parties. She has to maintain that appearance. So it takes a lot more work because of her position in that world. Definitely. I think so. And maybe she doesn't come from a straight line of fey royalty or fey clan like Hale does. So she had to integrate herself and make her money in a different way. Whereas Hale, it's like purely fey, direct line to the clans, and direct line to that kind of wealth that was probably passed down from generation to generation. But they do refer to her as a fairy queen. But was she a fairy queen because she ended up married to that king? Or, I never know. Or was she of sort of royal fey lineage before that? Well, it's like what we talked about with, in the trick episode. You know, she could be the only one of her line left, so then she has to rely on the interaction in the human world to make her money. She could be the only fairy queen left in her clan, or everybody else could have been killed off, or who knows. So, Yeah, because I don't think we ever hear what clan she is in. From, yeah. During her wake, Trick says oh, something right. about her scaffatch so, kin, oh, that's, he says. Oh, okay. The, that's the what type of face she is, though. Oh, is it? Yes. I'm pretty sure. Because she was half fairy and half scatchthatch, or however you say that word. I know I'm saying it wrong. I, I don't know what it is. It sounds to me like scaffatch. It's, it's, it's I think it's a Gaelic word. I'm sure it is. Well, well that could be where the uh, you know teleportation you know, part comes from. Uh, of her powers. I don't think so, because I, I think I did a little research on, well, granted, this was the Lost Girl wiki, so it's a wiki. It may not be 100% correct. Yeah. <laughs> but but I think on the Lost Girl wiki, when they were talking about Kiara, they weren't entirely sure why she had teleportation powers, because I think the, the sketch that was the female fae who helped warriors prepare for battle, I think that was that part of that personality, so I don't know that we have a clear idea where the teleportation came from this is just going to baffle us isn't it the teleportation thing <laughs> well you know who knows she's could be half and half and like 10 percent something else and that's where the teleportation so came she's 110 percent fey <laughs> exactly she's that much of a super fey but um the thing that i always i'm wondering is that is she the first fey that we've come across whether reoccurring or not that is half one type of fey and half another type of fey huh i think so i think so usually it's just purebred phase. Well, you're a succubus or you're a shapeshifter or at the very least it suggested suggested that she gets fae powers from both halves of her lineage. Like her mother was one thing and her mm-hmm. father was another thing, so mm-hmm. she turned out to be Although both. didn't they say it um was it Comic-Con there was something recently where they were talking it was at Comic-Con one of them said something about how the fae only inherit their abilities or whatever from one parent and then they said something about huh. except except for Bo and then they said oh we've said too much <laughs> yeah and then they've also said that you know you can only be fae if you've had two fae parents so it's not like a human and a fae can create a fae right but i don't know i've always wondered about that and yeah. going huh Wonder if we'll see an exception to that down the line, or now that Lauren can manipulate Fae DNA, you never know. So Interesting, yeah. though. I, I mean, I guess we don't have a clear idea of where Kiara's abilities came from. Clearly, her... Scatch that. I know I'm saying that wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> she got her... She got abilities from... 
<laughs> she got her abilities from that side because she trained Dyson and his clan for battle. But beyond them saying that fairies are very photogenic, we don't have a clear idea of what she might have inherited from her fairy. Well, what exactly parent. is a fairy power? You know, I don't know in the Lost Girl world. I mean, it's very possible that the teleportation is some sort of because she does sort of like a little blurry thing and then she reappears somewhere else. Right, because so. we we often think of fairies as flying, but maybe that's their their version of flying on Lost Girl is teleportation. That's true, because generally I tend to think of fairies in mythology as just you know they're flitting around, but they're more like kind of like almost a pretty ornament. They don't really have powerful powers you know they just sprinkle some dust and you fly or whatever but yeah teleportation could be a version of flying but normally i don't think of fairies as kick-ass you know what i mean but kiara certainly has that element to her once she gets into battle and this is a thing i like later about her development when her arc really starts to develop in the second half of the second season is that she's very um you know, she may have started out as a damsel in distress, but I really, really like that character near the end of her arc because she's so straightforward. She never gives Dyson any kind of, you know, run around. She just tells him what she thinks and tells everybody what she thinks. She's She doesn't mince words, and I love that about her. You know, in that last scene with Dyson where she comes over and has sex with him the night before they face the Garuda, she says... Dyson says, I just don't want to confuse things. And she says, I'm not confused. I'm just not taking no for an answer. So despite the fact that Dyson doesn't have his love, he's already admitted to her that of that fact. She knows what she wants and she's going to take it. And it's a very rough, very sensual, very take charge sex scene. You know, the knife, the thing where she pulls out the knife, I was like, wow, that's it was kind of alarming to me. I'm like, oh, a little S&M. And even Dyson looked worried. I'm like, dude, you know what this fairy could do to your little wolf junk right now? Because she's pretty in control. <laughs> so I had that moment also where you're just kind of like, I'm not sure which way this is going to go. And I'm a little uncomfortable. I, I know. You're like, this is a little unnerving. But yeah, I like Kiara. She just takes charge. She takes charge in bed and just takes charge. And she almost like, I would say, tame the wolf in terms of Dyson, in terms of domesticating him and saying, let's move in, and I've got my realtor, we've got this house and everything, and they had taped up all their boxes, and we're going to move in together. And then, you know, whereas they were almost about to build a life together, regardless of the fact that Dyson didn't have his love. And, you know, who knows what with his feelings for Bo and Bo's jealousy towards Kiara. So, you know, she had a lot of uh, sway over Dyson, I think. And if it hadn't ended tragically, you know, who knows what where it would have gone. But in that sense, both uh, Kiara and uh, Nadia are both plot devices, because you almost think, well, with the way the relationships were and making the triangle more complicated, it was inevitable that they both had to die. So I wish that they hadn't, the writers hadn't written themselves into a corner with Kiara and Dyson, because I actually think... Bo and Dyson shippers are maybe going to get mad at me for saying this, but I actually think Dyson and Kiara were pretty perfect for each other. I do too. Yeah, I thought I they too. were a great match. And it's it's sad to me that they wrote in the whole Dyson lost his love, can't love anybody else element, because I, I think actually Dyson and Kiara could have been pretty happy together. I agree. Mm -hmm. Well, it's the thing that speaks to Kiara's strength and how much she loved Dyson, because there's that scene after uh, 2.13 where Dyson meets, um can't remember her name, Trixel girlfriend, where she... Waylin. 
where he meets Waylin and then she uses his powers on him and he says, I can't love Kiara. Not that I won't. Not that I don't want to, but I can't. And then he tells Kiara the truth later about, I went to the Norn, I've lost my love. And she said, how could you do this to me? You know, you went to the Norn before. You couldn't give up your wolf for your best friend, who was my husband. And yet you've, you're going to do it for this woman that you've only known for a few months and you've known me for a few hundred years. And that's again where, well, that and it speaks to the crux of the series of between Dyson and Bo of, yeah, how could Dyson fall so in love with Bo and give up everything after a few months? And we're still wondering that question about in season three, the whole triangle aspect. But Kiara's the only one who really calls them out on it. And I like that about her. But then, so she leaves and then she later comes back and still accepts Dyson and wants to, well, at least have sex with him. But, you know, she she still comes back and wants to face the Garuda and a real potentially, which is a potentially life-ending situation for her, and wants to, you know, face, is one of the few fae to face this great evil. So she's a very brave character and, as I said, very forthright. And she came back despite her Dyson not telling the truth and despite everything. So I think she really, really loved, loved him. And I think despite Dyson not having his love, like I said, yeah, they could have worked. So I agree with that. And what I like too is that like here she goes away and she comes back and she comes back a badass complete with like battle exactly. gear and stuff. And, and what else I like about that scene is they're talking about how basically everybody else is leaving because they're trying to get out and hide and everything. And that's when she shows back up to fight. Yeah, I almost wonder, because she had been supposedly wife of this king who at least arranged the situation so that he could marry her. I, I, I don't, we don't know enough about her situation to know if she was held captive in that relationship in some way. She seems to have at least some degree of autonomy because she was running his company. But but they said she was running it after he died. Really? Yeah. Okay. I think that's what it was, wasn't it? I don't remember. Stop correcting me. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I'm not certain if if she was coerced into staying in that relationship for some way. But, you know, she got out of this relationship that maybe was not entirely of her choosing. And then she immediately kind of jumps into this relationship with Dyson. And I wonder if maybe that relationship ending and her going off for a while allowed her to maybe reconnect with her fairy warrior badass self and that's why she seems a bit different a bit more confident when she comes back at the end of season two yeah she's more centered and you know still and she decides okay everybody's leaving but i'm gonna go ahead and fight this fight because that's what i've decided to do and it's my own choice it's not influenced by this king or the human responsibilities of running a company or you know she sorted out her feelings for Dyson and still decided she still wanted to be at his side. Because when you were talking about how Kiara says it like it is, I was thinking she I don't know that she did that as much when she first appeared. I was a little worried about her when she first showed up, especially in Can't See the Fairest. We see her kind of acting like a puppy dog after Bo, like, oh no, I'll help you. It's for Dyson's work and Blah, blah, blah. Not that it's not good to be supportive of your partner. Of course it is. But I was a little worried that she was just going to define herself by Dyson. But after Bo kind of gave her a pep talk about if you have questions for Dyson, you need to just ask him directly. And she does. And I feel like after that point, she is pretty direct with Dyson. Although I'm going to argue that part of what 
her dynamic with Bo was in that episode was that it was not too long after Bo had saved her life because there was that whole scene at the That's end true. Of, of that episode in, in original skin where she, I mean, she's clearly, and of course you and I talked about the whole jealousy issue being played up in that episode at the beginning so that it can be resolved at the end. And, but still there's basically the complete reversal towards, towards Bo being completely hostile at the beginning and, and completely grateful at the end. So I think part of her interactions with Bo and trying so hard to be friends with Bo, I think is, is that seeing that Bo is genuinely a good person who wants to help and all that sort of thing. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that because um, yeah, it is such a role reversal from her saying in original skin, Oh, I don't think I know actually any of you. She doesn't know Dyson. She doesn't know Bo, you know, how, how are we supposed to tell who's who in original skin? And she's very like, F off, Bo, you know, towards the end where Bo brings her back and they're all working together to bring Kiara back since uh, the life's been sucked out of her. So, yeah, so I think that definitely leads into the next episode uh, with Kiara very well. So we touched on this a little bit before about Kiara being more involved in the human world than other Fae. And I kind of wonder how that might have affected Bo's reaction to her. Again, in, in Can't See the Ferris, that episode, uh, Kiara trying so hard to help Bo fit in with the human... Elite. Yes, elite. There you go. Basically seeing also, as we talked about before, that you know most of the Fae don't like to socialize with the humans, you know, look down upon the humans. But, you know, we don't get any sense of that at all from Kiara. And it's possible that that Bo appreciates that about her, since... Bo is obviously of that mindset. Maybe in Kiara, Bo sees what her life could be or a potential where she could freely interact with humans and still have a life and yet still be Fae. Kind of like the best of both worlds, which Bo is so striving for to be accepted by humans in a way to, f- to be able to freely interact with them and run a company and things like that. And yet still keep the fact that she's Fae hidden and still be a powerful Fae. Instead of having to, you know, struggle all the time between both worlds and being unaligned. So maybe Bo is a little bit jealous of that, of this whole rapport that Kiara has been able to build up, which I'm sure took years. So in contrast to Kiara, we have Nadia, who we really know nothing about. Poor, poor little plot device. Poor, poor Nadia. She, we know she is a photographer. We know she was in the Congo. We know she was in a coma. And we know she is Lauren's girlfriend, but we have we have no sense of what her life was like before she was in a coma. Before the besides the fact that she took pictures for a living, presumably, we you know we just don't know anything about her, and she's really just a plot device. She serves to motivate Bo to help free Lauren from the ash, and then she serves to you know, kind of create some suspense throughout the the latter part of the season and kind of give Lauren a bit of a storyline and then she gets killed. But, you know, she, we don't, we don't see anything. We don't, we don't see how her life changes, uh, in the, over the course of those months, just, we see her acting strangely and that's pretty much it. Well, and we don't know anything about Nadia. Everything we know about Nadia is related through Lauren. Yes. You know, when she first tells Bo about Nadia and about what she used to do and how they 
you know, we don't even really know how they met. We just know they were in the Congo together. Did they meet through some connection with Lauren in Afghanistan? Who knows? I've seen some fan fiction in that area. And with Nadia, yeah, we don't know. The thing that always surprises me about Nadia is that how Lauren... Not only that she remained loyal to Nadia throughout those five years, but I would have liked to have seen Nadia a little bit more adjusting to life out of a coma. Does she still love Lauren? It just kind of picks up, and there it is, and they're totally fine. The, Nadia and Lauren aren't talking about their issues. It's not just Lauren not talking about the Fae, but it's just about, oh, hi, I haven't seen you in five years. That and the fact that she gets out of a five-year coma and that Nadia physically is just fine. She's able to walk around, whatever. No, you know, no atrophied muscles, no nothing. It's fey technology, Annie. Yeah, it's fey technology. Come on. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. It's fey technology that she can still be in a beautiful dress and beautiful makeup and wake up and just start macking on Lauren in front of Corbo. What would you do after five years, Annie? Well, if I woke up to Dr. Lauren Lewis, yeah, I'd kiss her. (laughs) I thought so. So, and, and poor Nadia, she was just sort of set up for, for fans to dislike her because Kiara, at least, yes, she was, she was with Dyson and there are people who, who ship Bo and Dyson. But at that point, it wasn't Kiara that was standing in the way from Bo and Dyson being together. It was the fact that Dyson had made this sacrifice and given up their love for each other in order to help Bo. Whereas with Lauren and Nadia, there's this sense of, if only Nadia wasn't there, Bo and Lauren would be together, especially now that Dyson is completely out of the picture. So poor, I feel really badly for Athena Karkanis, who, who played Nadia. She comes on in this very thankless yeah. role where the fans were just set up to not like her. It's what the Docubus fans refer to as the popsicle girlfriend. I know it's a terrible term, but hey, I'm not the one who made it up. But they're always like, yeah, as, as you said, Stephanie, it's always like, oh, if only, God, why did Lauren have to pull this freaking rabbit out of the hat of, oh, by the way, I have a girlfriend and she's in a coma, you know, which are Lauren's exact words, you know. <laughs> so it's, it is kind of a crazy plot device, but I feel like the writers just, they had to put it in there as an obstacle. And then it works towards the end of the season as another route for the Garuda to take, uh, that to reveal one of the Garuda's powers that he can just inhabit people and see through their minds and make them do crazy things and cut themselves with knives. And, uh, it's just, and that's like Kiara, you know, you kind of knew at one point, okay, Nadia, that's going to be her inevitable end that she's going to have to be killed off because it's a plot device. Well, and the other thing that kind of colors this, this whole trend of we really know nothing about Nadia is that I feel like even now we have to question what really was Nadia and what was the Garuda. And I, I recognize that the writers, either they didn't know where they were going to go with it at the time, because I know they got the pickup for the back nine of the season kind of suddenly, and so they had to rethink their plans. So either they didn't know they were going to do this when they first introduced Nadia, or they just didn't want to give the plot twist away. But I really wish that we had seen at some point where the Garuda entered Nadia. So if we had a sense of, was it from the beginning? Was it only after a certain point? When exactly did it happen? It wouldn't even have to be, I would have taken like a vague suggestion. Like if you went back and rewatched it, you realized, oh, that's when, that's when that happened. But I don't even think we have that. Not really. I mean, there are a couple of times where, you know, Nadia's, sort of very interested in Bo. But again, you can't tell if that's a matter of 
being really curious about this person that your girlfriend is obviously very close to, or if it is a matter of, you know, trying to get information, the, the Garuda trying to get information. Right. To be clear. Well, I think it's kind of, I mean, to me, it's a little obvious in that episode where uh, it's all just in that one same episode where she comes in and Nadia's like, where's the bathroom? And goes upstairs and is starting to look at Bo's sword that's from Isabeau and is looking at her weapons trunk. I think that's the Garuda. To me, oh, that yeah. was the more subtle hint. And then at the end, when she cut the end of the episode, when she's cutting herself with a knife, it obviously is. But I think it's that episode. That's where it starts to get gray. But I think everything before that was Nadia of just being clingy. I've gotten out of a coma. It's been five years. But I still think, yeah, in that part with the uh, where she says to Bo, you know, just checking out the competition. I do think that's Nadia. Because she knows, she has to have known that Lauren had a close relationship with her. You know, again, we don't know how much Lauren told her, but I think she can sense that Bo has had some intimate relationships with her girlfriend. So I would be it. But, you know, she finds Bo intimidating. I would. So if I had this succubus on my ass saying, damn you, if only if you hadn't come out of your coma, I'd be with her right now, the woman that I love. But yeah, it's it's kind of gray, but I, I kind of like that it is a little of gray area so that it's everything's not totally spoon-fed to the audience. But you know, at the same time, you don't want it to be too much of a gray area so the audience can go, wait, what the hell's going on? And where do we draw the line of what where's the Garuda and where's the audience? Right. Well, th- that's my point. Like, I would have taken, I actually would have preferred kind of a vague moment where you weren't quite sure what was going on, but maybe rewatching, you thought, oh, that's when the Garuda kind of took hold of Nadia. But I don't, I don't think that we, we get that so much. I think in the Garuda made it, made it, may have like come and go, you know, as we see in that very last scene, Nadia transitions from. Right. But my question is, when did it start? That's my question. Cause I think there's definitely, there's definitely moments where. It's obvious, more obviously the Garuda than not. And we see when N- Nadia asks Bo to kill her, that's very obviously Nadia. But there's just so many times where I'm like, I hope that's Nadia. I'm not sure, but I hope that's the real Nadia. Well, I was just going to say, you know, was it part of the curse? Because there's that whole thing, because Lauren figures out what's going on because she texts with the, the Fey virus from the Congo which reacts with Nadia's blood. But the whole thing was that Nadia got sick while they were in the Congo. So was that part of the curse then? Was yeah. was that was she cursed with the Garuda? Yeah. There's just so many things that could be the cause of her behavior. It gets so confusing to figure out, did we ever see the real Nadia? Because it could have been the curse. It could have been having been in a coma for five years. It could have been Yeah, the there's Garuda. all these contributing factors. And we know so little about Nadia, and then we only see her with Lauren. We very rarely see her in scenes by herself. And when she is, she seems to be possessed by the Garuda. So, yeah, it's a very valid question. But yeah, that on that side note about the curse, you know, does that have something to do with the Garuda? That's something I've never thought of. But that, as a tangent, reveals the first Ash as so much more... I don't know, the word evil and manipulative than you just previously saw him on screen in the first season. Anyway, sidebar. So I was rewatching Schools Out, and that has, that's the episode where they first come, Nadia and Lauren first come back from being off in the woods or the, at the lake together. And there's that scene where Lauren's trying to work on her work to help Bo, and Nadia's like, no, we should go do something. And it gets really sexy, and she gets her to unbutton her shirt, and she's taking pictures of her. 
I really hope that that's the real Nadia, the person that we see. I think that is. In that scene. Because I, I was rewatching, yeah. I was like, you know, they actually, Athena Kirkanis and Zoe Palmer have some really nice chemistry in that scene. It's not the same as the chemistry that Zoe Palmer and Anna Silk have. It's, it's different, but I think they have a really nice, familiar kind of playful chemistry together in that scene. And I really hope that that was the real Nadia. I think it was. I think Nadia is really good at drawing Lauren out of her shell. I think that's what that scene showed and getting her to just, you know, relax and not be so obsessed with her work and to realize, you know, we have a relationship, we have a valuable human relationship that it's not just all about the work or about what you can do for humanity, that you have to let yourself go and realize that you're a beautiful woman, you're a valued woman. And to kind of point out to Lauren a little bit that Nadia's trying to say, well, you know, I'm back, so, you know, we're in a relationship, so we need to pay attention to each other. But then, at the same time, at the end of the episode, you see that she was just taking pictures of the Ashes necklace, or really, that's the one she's developed, so... Yeah. Exactly. So was that Nadia? Or was it the Garuda in that scene? Because it's very easy that it was Nadia taking the pictures, but when it came to actually developing the pictures, it was the Garuda who sort of well, focused in the on Garuda the necklace. could have just chosen to ignore the Lauren pictures and only develop the, you know, crop Lauren out and just develop the... Exactly, because <laughs> she, she if she had a camera with a high enough resolution, which if she was a professional photographer... She should have. She could, the Garuda could have very easily just focused in on the necklace when he went, when making prints. So. Also, I would think if it was the Garuda, there would be a lot more questions about Bo and the new Ash. Yeah. Rather than, you know, shirt unbuttoning and stuff. Yes, indeed. I would think. Well, you could just say it was Nadia taking the pictures, and then when it came time to, you know, go to CVS and print out the pictures. It was the Garuda. Just, you know, zoom, zoom, zoom on the machine and print. Okay, I've got what I wanted. Thanks. Well, because the way that, I mean, obviously, Lauren probably didn't know exactly what was going on, but the way that Lauren phrased it in Lachlan's Gambit was when she learned that the Garuda was seeing through Nadia's eyes. So there's this implication from that line that maybe the Garuda could always see through Nadia, but he wasn't always controlling Nadia. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. I mean, especially that last scene, exactly. I think the Garuda flitted in and out of Nadia, her consciousness, her in controlling her actions, definitely. But that scene, or that line that you said, that Lauren says, you know, since I've learned the Garuda's been seeing through Nadia's eyes, when did Lauren learn that the Garuda was seeing through Nadia's eyes? Was it only in that last scene, right before Nadia got killed? Exactly, yeah. Because Nadia is saying something like, there's something inside me, it, it it's... It just feels like it wants me to kill. Yeah, it wants me to kill, and then that's when I think it's Bro who says it's the Garuda. I think that's when they all realize what might have been going on with Nadia. So I mean, but I wonder because given the fact that Lauren is Nadia's girlfriend and that she's living with her, and that you know obviously Lauren had hints beforehand that something strange was going on with Nadia and trying to cure her illness. So I wonder if Lauren would have tried to put two and two together and realized that it was the Garuda even before that last scene where Nadia is, is killed. It's, it's just a point that's not really clear. So, But it all happens very quickly in one, one and a half one, or one episode where that whole downfall of Nadia, uh, where it's really obvious that she's the Garuda. Yeah, I think it's maybe over the course of about 
two episodes that we learn that Nadia is not feeling well, and then later Lauren discovers that she's got the and disease that was only supposed to affect Faye. It's very brief. Which which was the whole thing where she found out that there was Faye DNA to react with. So right. she knew something something was Faye wrong. was going on, but I don't think she realized it was the Garuda until right before Nadia died. So a major component of both Kiara and Nadia's storylines was kind of this new triangle that developed in season two called the Jealousy Triangle, where Bo was jealous of, of Nadia and Bo was jealous of Kiara and, uh, and Kiara and Nadia were both jealous of Bo. Um, and Poor I. Poor jealous Bo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, but the thing is, I actually thought that that really gave Anna Silk some great comedy opportunities. <laughs> Because whenever Nadia would come over with Lauren and Bo would see her, she'd say, oh, hi, Nadia. <laughs> the hi, Nadia always makes me laugh. <laughs> and it's always following, like, being really happy to see Lauren. You know, there's the hug scene and then, oh, hi, Nadia, over Lauren's shoulder. It's like, nearer. It's like, there goes her su- her succubus sexual drive. <laughs> I think an episode after that, there's uh, she opens the door and there's Lauren and she's, you know, oh, hi, Lauren. And, and then, of course, there's like a two-beat pause and then, hey, Nadia. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think part of audience reaction and, and really the, the narrative treats Kiara and Nadia so very differently because, as you'd mentioned before, Dyson has lost his love for Bo. So basically, there's already a... What is the the word I'm looking for here? There's There's already an obstacle. obstacle. Thank you. That's the word. There's already an obstacle. There's already an obstacle in that relationship. So Kiara coming in doesn't necessarily affect the potential of them getting back together or not. It's already very clear that they can't. They can't be together. So Nadia showing up, because... Things look like they could happen with Bo and Lauren. They're headed that way. It's actually in that episode where things are very clearly going that way. And then, you know, we learn of Nadia's existence in uh, 206. So, I mean, that that's the whole, I guess, part of, you know, Nadia's being a plot device is that she's essentially functioning as, and I'm going to finger quote this, the wedge. You know, where the basically... A character's sole purpose is to come between two other characters. So, yeah. In terms of the narrative treating them so differently, because here, you know, Kiara gets the the warrior's return and, you know, is fighting for them and saves Bo's life and Kenzie's life and sacrificing herself and all this sort of thing. And, and uh, you know, we find out things about her that she's, you know, a fairy queen and she's rich and she's pretty nice and all this sort of thing. And... Nadia's just been in a coma for five years and is possessed. <laughs> she's not even her half the time she's shown up. Yeah, I think it's interesting to consider how Lauren reacts to Nadia being back because I've read some people's reaction to that storyline and they think, oh, Lauren's being really heartless or, or just completely oblivious to Bo's feelings at points and this and that. But when I was watching that, it seemed very clear to me that Lauren was very conflicted about the whole situation. I think it was, she felt guilty to begin with that she, when she thought that Nadia had gotten ill because she invited her on this 
trip. So she already felt badly. You know, when she tells Bo about Nadia, she says she's in a coma because of me. And then she learns, oh, wait, no, she wasn't in a coma because I'd taken her to the Congo. Oh, it's this other thing. You know, the, the, the first Ash wanted me to come work for him. And so she cursed her. So it, it no longer became, oh, she, it's tangentially my fault, but it's directly my fault that this happened. And I think Lauren, we see clearly, like we talked about in, when we discussed Lauren, she's a very loyal person. And I think she felt a great amount of loyalty toward Nadia. And when she felt even more responsible for what had happened to her, I don't see Lauren doing anything but trying to be a supportive, good girlfriend toward her. And what's funny is you were talking about how you've seen people online talking about how Lauren was so mean to Bo. I've seen people online talking about how Lauren was so mean to Nadia after Nadia woke up and, you know, she takes her to the uh, party, right, the party, and then sort of walks away from her to go talk to Bo. There's another thing where she um, has, oh, she takes Nadia with her to take Bo the files. And not uh, Lauren says to Bo, you know, I'm sorry, I had to bring her. She's been really clingy or whatever it is she says. And so I've seen people sort of complaining about, you know, Lauren being mean to Nadia about that. The, oh, I had to bring her, which I mean, I understand. But at the same time, I, I kind of feel like, but it is one of those things because it's work. It's not like she's making a social call. Right. Well, again, I think like what I was mentioning, it's like, Lauren's very conflicted with their feelings for both Nadia and Bo, but she's torn between her loyalty to both of them. But after Nadia wakes up, she's, of course, going to be loyal to Nadia. But everything that's recently happened within her life has been through Bo and trying to... You know, I always think that Bo was an influence on her, on Lauren, wanting to break away from the ash and tearing the necklace off and... Just saying, you know, I've had enough. I'm going to try and find other options because I'm so close to freeing Nadia. And that Bo was the one who helped her free Nadia, ultimately. Or helped her get on the right path to know that it was a curse and everything. But I think once Nad- Nadia's awake, Lauren's like just full bore on Nadia because of her sense of loyalty. Even if she still has feelings for Bo. Because I think we get a sense that Lauren does still care for Nadia. Obviously, if she didn't care for Nadia, she wouldn't have stuck by her for five years. So, but I, so I do think there is caring between the two of them still, but definitely I think there's a, a big sense of loyalty and obligation that keeps Lauren with Nadia. Well, and we never really, again, I think I mentioned, we never really see Lauren and Nadia talk about it, except in that brief scene where Nadia says to Lauren, I don't know if I could have done it. I don't know if I could have gone five years without feeling that loving caress. And I don't know if, Lauren really, I don't, I forget how she responds, but you know, something like, of course I would have done it for you, but. I think she's very vague and says, I would have never left you or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And at the same time though, Lauren is, can't be totally honest with Nadia about the whole Faye thing, but is only forced to tell her the whole thing because of the Garuda, so it's just all mixed up. You know, who's who, who's telling who about their real feelings and half-truths and all of this. So it's rather complicated. So we have, you know, we have Bo and her, oh, hi, Nadia. And <laughs> which makes me laugh just thinking of Anna Silk is really brilliant in those scenes. And then I also really liked how Anna Silk played the tension that emerges between Bo and Kiara. And I think this was actually written really well because I appreciated that it never really got, at least from Bo's side, it never got 
catfighty. It never got to the point where she was calling Kiara a slut or being really mean toward her because she was with Dyson. And I think Kenzie kind of encouraged her to maybe talk about Kiara in those terms and kind of badmouth Kiara a little bit. But I like that Bo never went there. I, I think... Yeah, some of what Kenzie was doing was, I think she was sort of trying to be, like, the really good best friend, and it's like, it's like well, if you can't hate her, I'll hate her for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but I, I do think a lot of what Bo's reaction to Kiara, and, and what I liked so much about this, there was jealousy, but I think a lot of it was that it was making Bo pretty insecure, because she was actually talking about, you know, you know, not only is she beautiful and a fairy, and, you know, she's she's got billions of dollars and, and all this sort of... Like, she was just really envious of her. Yeah, because it was getting to where she was probably thinking, well, even if Dyson could love me, why would he be with me when he has this beautiful, rich fairy queen that he could yeah. be with? I mean, at one point, Bo asks Hale, oh, how's Dyson doing? And Dyson and Hale kind of avoids the question going, oh, you know, he's just working out, whatever. And Bo's like, yeah, he's just with, like, the most perfect species, you know, the most perfect example of fey womanhood ever. And, like, how can I, implying, how can I match up to that? But Bo is never outwardly malicious or mean or anything to Kiara, and I think that's just a credit to Bo. And Kiara, to me, I mean, yeah, she is genuinely trying to help Bo and to thank her, but, you know, after a while, she, after 209, she's she's never mean-spirited or anything to Bo either. I think she's genuinely trying to help her. And I think the way that um, Kiara's portrayed, she's so kind of yeah to me it's just a sexy accent you know it's just she's so genuine and so trying hard and just um is a really again a character that doesn't mince words i think if she you know certainly had something to say to Bo, she would but the way those characters kind of form a tentative trust and uh relationship with each other i think was um it was really subtle but i thought it was quite beautiful so and then they end up fighting side by side and ultimately Kiara ends up sacrificing her life. So um I like that development. Well, and I liked that and I think the show actually does a pretty good job at portraying female relationships that don't get catty. And catty. Cuz yeah. we see in I believe it's phase phase wide shut in season 3 where the wife and the girlfriend of this guy who was killed by the 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 manta juice or whatever so the man who was killed by the Manta, his wife and his wife and his girlfriend are fighting, and Bo comes in and says something to the effect of, "At, at, at one, one day, women will stop fighting each other over men." And I think Bo really does live up to that in season two, because to me, it's clear from the way it was written and, and sort of Anna Silk's performance is she wasn't really she wasn't mad at Kiara. She just felt uncomfortable to see this woman having a relationship that was taken away from her, which she had no input in whatsoever. So I think she was uncomfortable around Nadia just because, or uncomfortable around Kiara. Now you're doing it. Now I'm doing it. She was uncomfortable around Kiara because Kiara didn't know what had happened between the two of them, between uh, Bo and Dyson, and just had no idea what she was kind of stepping into the middle of. So I think clearly she was uncomfortable, but she wasn't mean toward her. Right. And I like that too in 209, even though she was, she meaning Kiara being sort of excessively jealous. I mean, they, again, the writers played it up, but it's one of those things, they didn't play it up to the extent that it was, wasn't understandable, let me say. It's one of those things where you can kind of see why she would be feeling that way because 
you know, it is one of those weird situations and people aren't going to talk about it because they are sort of like, well, it's not my place to tell you their business. And it's this weird situation and everything. And yeah, I feel like in that, uh, in that episode, Bo seems more upset with Dyson that, that Dyson hasn't really dealt with the situation well than she does with, with Kiara. When it comes to Bo and her jealousy over Nadia, that it could have been a lot worse in terms of Bo expressing her, you know, maliciousness or displeasure or jealousy. You know, Bo could have used her powers on Nadia or Kiara for all, for all we know, just to go, you know, look, I'm the one in their lives or whatever. You know, she could have really done some damage. But that scene where Nadia says, oh, I'm just checking out the competition. And Bo says, well, I'm not the competition. You don't have to worry about me, basically. She puts her feelings aside and she realizes that Nadia is with Lauren, even if at that point, you know, arguably we don't know if Nadia is the Gruder or not. But still, that's Bo just sees Nadia and says, you know, you don't have to worry about me. I'm still going to, again, put my own emotions aside and you two are together. So I have to accept that. And this is another dif- difference between Kiara and Nadia's storylines is we actually see a relationship tentatively develop between Kiara and, and Bo, but we don't really see that between Bo and Nadia. We see Bo be civil toward Nadia and basically tell Nadia, I'm not going to interfere in your relationship, but we, there's no Bo and, and Nadia bond episode the way that we had for Bo and Kiara with Can't See the Exactly, Barest. but because there's no character development for Nadia. So. And again, this goes back to the, the differences in the way the story stands when the characters are introduced, because something was starting to happen with Lauren, and so it's there's an added layer of awkwardness there, I think, between Bo and Nadia. So. Again, she's the wedge. Yes, yeah, and Bo's feelings for Dyson versus her feelings for Lauren at where they are at the point in season two when Nadia is introduced. Bo's got her feelings towards Lauren are a lot more complex, I think, and a lot more recent and a lot more fresh than, as opposed to Dyson. And and I think at that point, Bo had come to accept mostly that, okay, I can't be with Dyson because of these other reasons, whereas yeah. Nadia mm-hmm. was the reason that Bo couldn't be with Lauren. So let's talk a little bit. These are very tragic characters. Spoiler. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Kiara and Nadia, they die. They both die. And again, their deaths are pretty different from each other. Though I will say that Nadia's death is maybe the first and only time we really see Nadia have any kind of agency over what happens to her. Because even though she couldn't control what happened mm, in regards to the Garuda entering her the way that Kiara could choose to go into battle, she is the one who says to Bo, kill me, kill me please. So, but but they're just, Nadia's just such a tragic, tragic character. I don't know if this is a thing or if it's just a thing my English teacher did. I don't know if this is a common expression. But when we, when we studied Hamlet, I think it was in 12th grade English, my English teacher always referred to Ophelia as poor Ophelia. And then subsequently, when we would read other texts that had very tragic female figures, she would say, oh, she's a poor Ophelia. And Nadia is a poor Ophelia. (laughs) Just nothing good happens to this poor woman. Never heard that in my uh, studies of Shakespeare in college, but that's definitely a great term, so I will use that one for now. So we have Nadia, who uh, is... is slain by Bo, and then we have Kiara, who is slain by the Garuda, but she is in a lot more control, and in general, Kiara has a lot more agency than, than Nadia does, but Kiara is much more, she dies much more on her own 
terms because she chooses to go into battle. She chooses to teleport into that sword. And her death is very, it's very, it's tragic, but it's heroic slash tragic. It's not just tragic, 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 the way that that Nadia is. Three tragics. Three tragics. That is three tragics worth. They, okay, and then the aftermath of their deaths. Kiara, we see this really elaborate wake, and people are drinking booze, and they're yelling, Hey! What do we get after Nadia dies? A bloodstain. That's and, it. No, and sad Bo and sad Lauren. <laughs> and a voiceovers, you know, and then, yeah, and then very cold Lauren, and trying to be, poor Bo, trying to be supportive in the most, uh, most difficult situations. But... I'd say more desperately trying to be stoic than cold, exactly, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. I think both Kiara and Nadia are what would be considered women in refrigerators, which is a trope that Gail Simone identified, and she is a, a female comics writer that Chris is a big fan of. So, Chris, why don't you sort of give us a sense of who Gail Simone is and what this whole women in refrigerators thing means? I believe the women in refrigerators thing actually started before Gail was writing comics, incidentally. Essentially, the way it started was, or, or where it gets its name. Let me start. Let me start with where it gets its name, because people are probably confused. So there was an issue of Green Lantern in which Kyle Rayner, who was the Green Lantern at the time, opens his refrigerator to find that his girlfriend had been murdered and stuffed in the refrigerator. And the thing is, basically, that whole thing happened as motivation for Kyle Rayner to seek revenge or whatever it was. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I haven't read it, but I've heard about it. Everybody's heard about this. This is a, a thing. And of course, that's such a sort of horrific thing that basically, if you start looking through the years and years of comics, that sort of thing actually happens surprisingly frequently. Barbara Gordon, who was Batgirl and is again, I believe, because comic books reboot all the time. Barbara Gordon had actually been shot in a famous issue written by Alan Moore. The Killing Joke, I believe is the name of it. And again, she wasn't even Batgirl at the time. I mean, in costume or anything. She opened the door, I think, at her father's place. And her father being Commissioner Gordon. And the Joker was standing there. And then the Joker shoots her. And this is all to to serve the purpose of getting to Commissioner Gordon and Batman was what the Joker was trying to do. So Barbara Gordon really has nothing to do with this. This is the one I was telling Stephanie before that, like, forever bothers me. And, I mean, Barbara Gordon goes on to become Oracle, which is, like, one of the greatest characters ever, is, you know, one of my favorites. But there was no plan to do that at the time. So, yeah. There are all these characters that this sort of thing has happened to. And so that's what started the women in refrigerators trope. And of course, it's not just comic books, but. And so the idea of a woman in refrigerator, they don't literally have to be in a refrigerator. It just gets its name from that moment in the Green Lantern. Exactly. But essentially, a woman who, a woman in a refrigerator is a woman who is, suffers usually some kind of violence essentially to get at a male character to further the storyline of usually a male character. Correct. They're either killed or severely injured or disempowered uh, in some way. Yes. And and it is, it, it's all not to do with them. It's, yeah, for usually a male character or that might actually be part of the trope is 
to serve the male character that is tangentially related to this female character in whatever way to serve their storyline. So I would argue that both Nadia and Kiara are women in refrigerators, even though Nadia's death doesn't necessarily motivate a male character. Her death is there to motivate the hero in a certain way, or at least she is there. Violence has been perpetrated against her to motivate Bo in some way, especially when she's trying to free Nadia in order to free Lauren. And I'm going to argue that Nadia, as introduced, is already a woman in a refrigerator. Yeah, exactly. Because that she was put into a coma to further Lauren's Lauren's storyline. So I think Lost Girls may be playing with the trope a little bit, but is it any better just to bring on this character for the sole purpose to motivate the storyline of, of other female characters, really. And then Kiara, she, her death is, is completely just to motivate Dyson and to further Dyson's storyline. You know, she, and Bose. And Bose. And Bose, too. Um, although, what I will argue, because we were talking about this video that talked about the uh, women in refrigerators trope, and how, you know, some people argued against the women in refrigerators trope because of similar things that have happened to various male comic book characters. And they pointed out that very often the male characters get to die the heroic death rather than having some horrible degrading thing happen. So it is one of those things, at at least Kiara does get the heroic warrior death. So, Yeah, and she chooses to put herself in that position. She isn't just killed for killing the sake. (laughs) Yes. But still, I, I would I would argue that both Kiara and Nadia are women in refrigerators. And then another trope that we see in regards to Nadia, I think, is there's this... I, I often hear it referred to as the dead lesbian syndrome, where it kind of comes from the history of the Hayes Code, which was a, a code of morality that dictated what you could and couldn't depict in films for many years. And if you had these characters who were were lesbians or who were criminals or who basically violated a good and proper life in some way. They had to, by the Hayes Code, they had to die by the end of the film. So She did finger quote that phrase, by the way. What quite phrase? The, the good and decent life. Oh, the good and decent life was finger quoted. And, and so these characters that violated the good and decent life, they had to die by the end of the film per these standards. And so whenever you had lesbian characters, bisexual characters, they had to die by the end of the film so that the film wasn't promoting this deviant lifestyle, again, finger quoted. And so this became a trope that carried on after the Hayes Code. There's There are often these lesbian characters who end up dead by the end of the film, even if they are con- kind of pro-gay pieces of, of, of film or of television. And so we see Nadia kind of fulfilling this dead lesbian syndrome. However, I think that's maybe a little bit mediated by the fact that we do have other queer characters on this show, and so far they have not died. We do not want Bo or Lauren to die. (laughs) And I think it also maybe is tempered by the fact that, again, with these parallel storylines, the straight girl dies too for basically the same purpose, to free up Dyson to be with Bo, to free up Lauren to be with Bo. So we do have Nadia being sort of this dead evil lesbian, which is a trope, but I think that's not as egregious a stereotype because of these other issues that we see in the show. And the evil wasn't actually Nadia. Yes, Nadia herself was not evil, but sometimes the the evil lesbian can be possessed. Well, yeah, it's always a possessed lesbian, a vampiric lesbian, uh, you know, 
the evil, you know, that has to be done away lesbian. Well, the the storyline will find, you know, the trope is the storyline will find a way to get rid of that lesbian through alternate means that are always, you know, degrading or, you know, something that has to be pushed away or taken care of by the end of the storyline. And, you know, socially it's like, well, storylines are still going on like that today, unfortunately. Hopefully less and less as time goes on with GLBT media, but you know, that's why we celebrate things such as Lost Girl, where we're like, oh my god, the main lesbian character is not dead yet, it's not pregnant, it's not whatever. So, we hope that Lost Girl will still tend to go against those tropes. So, season four is starting soon. I asked on Twitter if listeners were interested in our doing episodes about the season four episodes, and I got a very positive response. So, next week's episode about Hale will be the last of our topic based episodes for a while. After that, we will start doing episodes about season four episodes, and I feel like I've said the word episodes about 30 times now. I apologize. So, that means we're going to change our release schedule a bit. We have been releasing on Tuesdays. But since the show airs on Sundays, we need a few more days to get an episode recorded and edited. So sorry for the delay getting the episode out this week, but it actually ended up jumpstarting our new schedule of releasing on Thursdays. I also wanted to say thank you to those people who left us rating and reviews in iTunes. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that we didn't have any and now we have now we have a few. So thank you to those people who did that. We really appreciate it. If you're an iTunes user and you have a few spare minutes, we would love us if you re- left us a rating or review as well. So let us know what you think about the content of this episode. You can leave a comment on the show notes, or you can send us a voice message through your computer or mobile device by clicking on the send a voice message link at the end of the show notes. You can also email us at feedback at drinksofthedoll.com or call our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. I'm so glad you could join us for Drinks at the Doll. I'm Stephanie. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. Cheers.